Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. All right, welcome in to another episode of From the Pink Seats. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, your host. Uh, We are excited again to go through and look at Louisville football season in review. Uh, But first, Matt, have you gotten all the farts out yet? I'm just curious. I'm just making sure that before we go in, the people did not really come here. Just to, gonna air me I out am like gonna that. air you out like that. If when we're getting hey, on was, a pod and you start to rip ass, I'm going to call you out for it and let the people hey, know. It was a good steak, man. I'll just <laughs> say that. I think there's a lot of people who would tell you that the steak farts are well worth the the hassle of a, a fantastic steak. I mean, Matt, considering I marinated it in bourbon too. I'm just bravo. I mean, that's well all done. I have to say there. Yeah. Bravo. Well done. All right, man. Well, here before we dive into the defensive side of things, obviously last week we touched on the offense uh, and our closer look as we just kind of found some statistics that told a bigger story about the Louisville season. But uh, we're going to do the same in this episode for the defense, which um, this is going to be far more positive than I think that the offense was. It's going to be very weird. This is a, a weird dynamic of celebrating our defense. It's been a long time since we've been able to do that. Uh, but just quickly, this isn't the episode for this, but just initial thoughts on the additions of Kendrick Duncan, Brian Hudson, and Shea Wirtz, the, the three transfers that Louisville's landed within the last two weeks. I'm going to start off with Duncan. I think that, that's a great addition right there, especially since we're, we're losing a starting safety in Rusty's. I mean, he had his up to, ups and downs in his last year in the program, but he was he was still a solid piece on the defense nonetheless. So losing him was going to hurt. And bringing in someone who in just six games had like, it's multiple interceptions. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're competing at the Sun Belt level at the SEC. That's that's pretty good right there. And he he missed half the season and was still named like um, all Sun Belt second team selection. I mean, not a lot of people can get away with that. So that's a great addition. Uh, with Wirtz, it I I there's a lot of potential there. I'm not. I've seen reports that Louisville's going to run him a lot at wide receiver, or at least get him a lot of reps there. Um, but he, he's got capabilities throwing the ball as well. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, he's just a runner. He's just a runner. Well, no, he's compiled in his Georgia Southern career a little north of 3,000 yards. I mean, 
I'm, I don't think just a runner can pull that off. And he's got 34 touchdowns on the ground and on the air. So he, any way he can score, he can do it. He's a valuable asset there. And then with um, then the offensive line is going to have some depth before Brian Hudson came in because um, we're going to get the tackles back. Um, we're going to probably going to be losing Cam to George. He hasn't come out and said if he's coming back yet. But I mean, nonetheless, we're bringing in Brian Hudson. He'll he'll probably plug and play some on either side of the tackles, and then we get Cole Bentley back and Robbie Bell back. Um, I mean, Robbie Bell had a kind of an up and down year, but Cole Bentley he was at the he made the watch, the midseason watch list for the Remington. For if you didn't know, that's best center in college football, which is big deal. So getting back all of that depth on the offensive line, hopefully they can correct some of their some of their woes, like their roller coaster season they had this year. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on that group. Yeah, I, I like all three additions. I think that in terms of impact, uh, it's going to be a toss up between Hudson and Duncan. I think Duncan could come in and, and provide the impact that that uh, Cottrell Clark did this past year. Uh, the dude is a playmaker. Six interceptions over three seasons, two in each of his um, in each season. He's multiple fumble recoveries, multiple force fumbles, 138 tackles, a couple of uh, tackles for loss. So this is a guy who is an impact. Maker, you know, obviously that jump from uh, the Sun Belt to the ACC is, you know, something to kind of consider in, in terms of what his impact could be. Uh, but he is a playmaker, and Louisville's secondary in the back end has they've been okay. I was Isaiah Hayes and Rushies have been okay. I think that's fair to say, but they've not been great. Obviously, there's not been a ton of interceptions um, from them. I think three total in the last two years. So um, hopefully, Duncan's going to provide some impact, and then Brian Hudson, man, I think that you're right. I think he's the in my opinion, he's the shoe in candidate for the right guard spot right now with Bell. You know, he's going to be coming back from that injury and, and trying to work his way in. But I'm really excited about, about all the additions. I think Wirtz is going to be more of a weapon than a quarterback. Uh, I think he'll provide depth and be, you know, a, an emergency third string quarterback. Cause I, I quite frankly don't see TJ Lewis playing much next year. But, um, you know, I, I like the addition because that late in the season, Louisville went with a lot more of that triple option. Um, where they really did some unique things and kind of mixed it up. And we talked about this last week. They really kind of improved down the stretch once uh, Javian Hawkins, um, you know, declared for the draft and, and they had to kind of switch things up. So I think Wirtz is a guy that they're going to play at wide receiver. Uh, he's going to be the guy that probably comes in a lot of these jet sweeps is the orbiter running around in the backfield, um, a lot of decoy stuff. So I think that they just got another really good weapon on the offense and, um, heading into a season where you don't know what your wide receiver situation is going to look like. I think that's a big addition. So, right. And, uh, but before we go into that, the, the rest of the episode talking about defense stats, just real quick, uh, going back to talking about the Sun Belt. Yeah. I mean, it's not a power five conference, but you got to think Kytrell Clark in his one season at Liberty, he started multiple games as a freshman, didn't even have an interception. And he comes in at Louisville and he's one of the best defenders on the team, if not the best. And so considering in half the games last season, uh, Duncan had multiple interceptions. I'm not saying there's correlation there, but it, it's something to build off on. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, Duncan is a guy who will come in and immediately will bring playmaking to that back end. They, they've not had much there, right? Those guys have just been, they've just kind of been there to, to, to do their job and keep guys in front of them without um, really doing much in terms of taking away. So I think that Duncan is going to be a really big impact player considering the momentum they're going to have in the secondary, yeah. uh, which perfect segue into our, um, you know, our closer look, we're going to, we're going to dive into some statistics that tell the story of Louisville football's defense this year. But um, just off of the the rip here, if we look at some of the statistics um, 
just the bigger ones that you would look at when kind of judging a defense's performance. And I think, Matt, that we can say across the board that there is improvement in a lot of these. So um, they finished 17th uh, in the, the Division One this year in passing yards allowed, 189.2 per game. First sound defense, that's not a strength of their 71st in, in the country. Uh, but this is interesting. Second in the ACC. I, I find that to be very interesting. Well, uh, that uh, seems like there'd be a lot of really bad teams if that's the case. Well, that, that stat is kind of skewed because that's um, on aggregate first downs, not first downs per game. So you got to think half of Division One didn't get started until October. So leagues like the SEC and the ACC had a leg up. So, yeah, it's going to from, – from the grand scheme of the of uh, FBS football, yeah, it's going to be about middle of the pack. But since the ACC got uh, started uh, – was one of the first conferences to start football this past fall, uh, yeah, that, that number's going to be a lot higher than some of the other teams. But, yeah, they're, they're second – they were second in the league in allowing first downs behind only Clemson, and we know how good Clemson is. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a big win because if you consider 2019, one of their biggest issues was just getting off the field. I mean, that, all year long, it was like, can we just get a stop on third down, please? Uh, and moving forward here, total defense, they finished 39th in Division One. I. I don't remember where they are in 2019, but I believe they are in the 70s or 80s. So that is a big, big jump and big improvement there. Uh, and then turnover gained. Um, they finished with just 12 turnovers, 70th in the country, 14th in the ACC. Uh, that is something we're going to really kind of dive into and, and address because it's honestly, Matt, uh, if Louisville could turn the football over defensively, uh, the way that the offense could turn the football over, this is a team that could have probably made a lot more noise than they did. Yeah, no, we, we've kind of gone over this ad nauseum. If the turnover margin was zero, didn't matter if the offense didn't cough it up as much as they did, or if the defense simply made up for those, for those errors on the offensive side, if, if that margin was not in the basement, this is not a four and seven football team. It, it's you have a completely different. I don't think they would have made much uh, noise in terms of sniffing the ACC championship game. Because I mean, let's be honest, those that that game was a lock to be Notre Dame versus Clemson from the rip. I mean, I know, I know, I wrote about hey, Louisville's got a sleeper's chance to make Charlotte, or there could be a few other teams like a North Carolina. I mean, from day one, it was going to be Notre Dame versus Clemson. It, it is what it is. We, Louisville fans could have had hope that the Cardinals might have had a chance, but. Even even if they force if they had a turnover margin of ten, they might have a chance. But right. like like we've said, the the turnovers they they've impacted both sides of the ball, and we're about to get much deeper into that. They forced twelve, yeah, they forced twelve turnovers this past season. That's seventieth in D one, and it was fourteenth in the ACC. The only team that they were ahead of was North Carolina. Uh, that's an interesting stat because you would have thought with how well North Carolina played that they were a defense that created a lot of turnovers, but uh, let's look into their best games of the season. Defensively, the two that stand out to me, I think obviously we can agree Notre Dame, number one, holding them to just 12 points. Um, that's a game where you talk about dropped interceptions. I mean, Katrell Clark had two in the end zone, but that could have been a completely different game had those interceptions been caught still uh, that was Notre Dame's worst performance until the Alabama game. And it wasn't even close. Uh, and then you look at the shutout against Syracuse 30 to nothing. Um, the defense was electric in that game. It was their best defensive performance against the power five team since I think it was 2017. So just all around, they, they played extremely well in those two games, their worst games. If you want to turn around and look at this the other way, Miami in week two, giving up 47 points. Uh, I can still vividly remember Brevin Jordan jumping over Isaiah Hayes, Isaiah Hayes and Rajay Burns combining for probably three or four blown plays of 60, 70 yards. 
Um, and then you look at the Georgia Tech game. That's a, that's yep. a game that just sticks out like a sore thumb because you had a 19-point lead, I believe, in the third quarter. Um, and then Jeff, Georgia Jeff, Tech has a 21-point fourth quarter exactly when it was like right. a one- or two-point game. And you're talking there. about a quarterback in Jeff Sims who entered the game, I believe, with eight or nine interceptions and was leading the, the ACC in interceptions as a freshman. And Louisville didn't create one turnover in that game. Um, and that's a, that's a game I think that could have potentially – uh, you know, change the momentum a little bit. You come off two losses against Pittsburgh and Miami. Um, and then let's look at individual statistics and, and where the cards shined here. CJ Avery for the second year in a row leads the team in tackles. His tackles de- decreased significantly, though, finishing the year with 79 tackles. Um, here's something that I, I don't – this would be something to talk about with somebody who knows football and the dynamics of kind of what your expectations are with statistics. But their next, their next closest tackler was Rajay Burns with 58 tackles the 21 tackle difference that's a that i find that to be very interesting and the, the steep drop off last year it wasn't anywhere near that bad um this year in sacks they struggled again just like they did last year um they finished with 21 sacks on the year uh led by i believe dorian etheridge yasir abdullah three sacks on the year um it was actually dorian- montgomery Monty Montgomery. Okay. I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. Four sacks for Monty Montgomery, three sacks for your Sir Abdullah, two and a half for, for Dorian Etheridge. Uh, and then in the interception category, CJ Avery, Monty Montgomery, Marlon Clark, Cottrell Clark, and Nick O'Keefe, or excuse me, Jack Fago all get picks this year. What stands out individually to you before we dive into our team statistics? Well, from an individual standpoint, I was just impressed from the get, from the jump at how uh, Cottrell Clark kind of merged into this Louisville system. Cause I thought that, yeah, uh, going from a program in the Sun Belt to the Power Five level, there's there's probably going to be a little bit of uh, adjustment. Doesn't matter how talented you are, there's it, just go, getting up to a completely different level of football is always going to take some time, especially in an off season where you didn't have as much time to prepare. And plus, I think Clark didn't join the program until late July or something like that. But f- from the Western Kentucky game on, he was one of, if not the best defender on the field. And at times it wasn't even close. Like you mentioned in the Notre Dame game, had he just, you know, squeezed a couple of those balls a little bit harder. He's got a pair of picks in the end zone versus Notre Dame, a team, which at that point was that before they played Clemson or was that? I believe after? so. Yes. Yes. I do believe that. that okay. Was before they still, played that's Clemson. a top, that's a top five team in their house. Yeah, there was real. And he did that multiple times. Now I know that one of his bugaboo was, not catching some of those interceptions, but still you're putting yourself in a position to at least make a play on the ball. And he did that multiple times a game in several games from a very early point in the season that from, so from an individual standpoint, that's what jumps out to me the most. Yeah. For me, the individual statistic that kind of stands out uh, is the sack count. I I think that when you look at Louisville as a whole, um, this defense is built to to blitz and to be able to get after the quarterback and make plays in the backfield. And we're going to talk about this a little bit deeper, but they did not do that by any means this year. To finish with your your leading um, sack getter to only have four and that be a linebacker, even in a scheme where linebackers and safeties are kind of the guys that lead the charge with with getting sacks, I find that to be a little bit depressing. Jared Goldwire was a guy I expected to to be really a force for Louisville. I know he dealt with injuries this year, but only two sacks from him, and then you only get two other sacks from the defensive line. Tiberius Peterson had one, and Daniel Kennard had one. So you're talking about four sacks between your defensive line, and they played about eight guys on the year. Um, that's just that's disappointing to me, um, and that stands out. 
uh, next year, the sacks and the interceptions, and we'll talk about this next week a little bit. That's the statistics I'm watching. I want to see those climb through the roof. This year, they took a big step in yardage and points allowed, things like that. Next year, it's kind of those vanity stats where you're really, really getting after it. So interested to dive into that, look at that a little bit more next week. But let's move into our segment. We did this last week. We call this a closer look. And we've got three statistics here that we think kind of tell the story of the season. So, Matt, you have done the digging and the research here. I am actually coming into this blind on these statistics, unlike last week. So I think this will create some good conversation and questioning, uh, a lot of questions that I think our audience would have. So without further ado, Matt, please give us statistic number one. All right, now I'm going to give it a little bit of build up because I'm not going to lie to you. There's a there's a lot of uh, niche to these stats. Stats. I mean, I know I like football, but my first love is baseball, and it's being a baseball guy. I love stats. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. So, but you had previously mentioned how this Louisville defensive scheme is built around you know getting pressure and forcing sacks, and and they didn't do that a lot this year. Like you said, the defensive line had eight. Your leading stat getter had four. So th- this is in in a nutshell. Now, the story of the Louisville football team offensively and defensively was turnovers no question but a secondary one for the um for the defense was their inability to get sacks whether that be from individual player efforts and execution or just pure uh scheme from uh scheme from the coaching staff so this first one that i'm going to start off with there's actually a couple of them that deal with the sack rates and whatnot so this one is sack rate on standard downs now these are stats that are pulled from football outsiders once again shout out to them they, they've been a great asset for us these past couple of episodes in terms of like breaking down both sides of the football. So sack rate on standard downs. Now, what's a standard down? That'd be first down, second and seven, third and four, fourth and four. Basically the natural progression of any given drive based on how many, like the average amount of yards any given team is going to get. So what was Louisville's sack rate on these standards, standard downs? It was 8%. For bigger reference, that's tied for 11th in Division One and third in the ACC. It's not bad, right? Not it's, bad at all. That's it's, good. It's, it's very good. good at all. It's very good. Now, here's the kicker. This implies that the Louisville defense is actually keeping the offense honest and making sure they don't get a lot of chunk plays and making sure they don't get settled or put them in a position to make plays. And that kind of sets up the uh, the next stat which is sack rate on passing downs. Now, basically what this is, is just the standard downs, but add a few yards to where, you know, basically any down where it's a near guarantee, the team, the offense is going to pass the ball. Which so, means that would imply a pass rush situation where the defense knows this, this is where Louisville's offense in the beginning of the season got themselves in so much trouble because they were on third and 11, third and 13 defenses are like, well, we're just going to rush seven. Like we're going to just do that because we know we can get after the quarterback. Um, and for Louisville's defense, they never could do that. Exactly. And leading into that, their sack rate on said passing downs was just 5.4%. And in the grand scheme of names, that's just 103rd out of the 127 active Division One teams this past season. And they were fourth, and that was a mark that was good for 14th in the ACC. And who was the one team that they were ahead of in this category? Dumpster Fire, Florida State. And that at Florida State, this is the year you don't want to be grouped in with them, uh, just like Louisville in 2018. Um, but I, I just 
one statistic I would love to counter to that to see, and this would require us to do a little bit of digging and probably me to be a better host and do more research leading <laughs> in, but, but what is the third down yardage that Louisville had given up this season? Like how many yards per third down play did they give up? Because think about it. If Louisville is 8% of the time making a play on third down and what they're classifying as a passing situation, that means that on these third and long plays, defenses are completing 13, 14, 10, 8, 9. They're completing these long plays that they're just typically offenses are not built to do in college football. In the NFL, you see that a lot more. And Aaron Rodgers can go get you 17 yards on third down any day of the week. A little bit different when it's Kenny Pickett, you know, and <laughs> no disrespect to Kenny Pickett, the first quarterback I could think of. But my, I just said the defense here in third down, when you know it's coming, when you can't stop it, that seems like a pretty big problem. Oh, it absolutely is. And so whenever you're and due due to a combination of just I don't want to say a lack of effort, because clearly that this team was putting forth as much effort as they could. It's just sometimes from an individual standpoint, sometimes they didn't execute to the level they needed to. And sometimes the coaching staff, as we saw in the first four ish games of the season, there were times where they were inexplicably just sending three. And, and they did that fairly often to the point where I. I had to question, like, why, why, why are you not sending pressure? Uh, you, you, I, you've got linebackers that are solely in the game to pass rush, such as like a Monty Montgomery or some of these, like a uh, Rajay Burns or a uh, Yesir Abdullah. Now I know Burns is a converted cornerback, but there's a reason he was converted to linebackers because he was put in there to pass rush. And when you only rush three, you're not really utilizing the guys that are on the field, and that'll lead into the. Um, the next category that kind of builds off the sacks. But before uh, you go into that, here's yeah. the interesting thing I want to talk about. I think that in 2019, missed tackles were very glaring. I think it was pretty obvious that you could watch Louisville football in 2018, even 2017. Once really Peter Sermon got here, the tackling was really got bad. In 2020, I think that the, the statistics would show you that they improved. But I can still think of a lot of times on third downs where Louisville just missed tackles. Rajay Burns, um, CJ Avery even, Monty Montgomery, guys missed tackles. And then there's also Louisville's linebackers struggled in coverage this year. They just did. CJ Avery, Dorian Etheridge, Monty Montgomery, and Rajay Burns, who was the, the worst of them, they struggled in coverage. And a lot of times on third down, Louisville got beat by tight ends or they got beat by a guy who made multiple players miss. It, I'm I'm glad they got that cleaned up, but they they still kind of struggled a lot over the course of the season. Now, Absolutely. all right, let's go to statistic number two. Now, kind of basic building off of the first one, talking about sacks and their inability to not force a lot of pass rush in pass and passing situations. So, whenever you're letting the opponent just kind of sit there in the pocket and allowing them to be able to make plays and continue drives or just even get drives started, there's going to be a lot of times where your defense isn't going to be able to get off the field and your opponent's just going to eat up time of possession. So this next stat, opponent offensive busted drive rate. Now what this is, it's the percentage of opponent offensive drives that earn zero or negative yards. Pretty simple. Louisville's offensive busted drive rate, 5.3%. That was good for, wait for it, 121st in division one and dead last in the ACC. 
that's troubling. That and that goes almost hand in hand with what we talked about last week. If you remember when we read about the stuff rate, I said that Louisville's offensive line, in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage, is still in the Bobby Petrino era. The defensive line, I don't, I don't want to say they're still in the Bobby Petrino era, but they are still unable to control. There's shades of, of it. I mean, there and is. it's not, there, it's not through any fault of their own because the Bobby Petrino era. I mean, we, we all know at this point that his recruiting tactics put a premium on the skill position players on both sides of the ball, like wide receivers and cornerbacks. And when it came to recruiting guys up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage, there was, they were playmakers on the first string, but in terms of like second and third string, the drop-off was extreme And that, I mean, no fault to the backups, but I mean, there was a clear talent discrepancy. Yeah, absolutely. And they're what what Louisville's defense asked their defensive line to do a lot. A lot of it is more gap assignment than it is to to bull rush and try to blow up a play in the backfield. So that that could you know have a little bit of an effect on that busted drive rate. But what that tells me, uh, besides not being able to control the line of scrimmage, is that uh, Brian Brown's defense is just not quite able to do what he's asking. This is like with Chris Mack in basketball in 2019. We just got so frustrated so many times defensively that the group that, that, that Chris Mack was playing, which was made up mostly of Rick Pitino recruited players who were just different fits, the pack line defense, it just didn't catch on. And it, it caused them to go into a two, three, to a three, two, one, three, one. They just did a bunch of different things because they struggled. It was muscle so memory. Almost. Right, exactly. Right. So with this defense, it's the same thing. They're just not quite able to do what he's asking them to do. Guys um, are not, uh, you know, fast enough or strong enough, skilled enough um, to, to be able to get into the backfield at a consistent rate. Now they did a lot of the times and I made, li- I made light of this a lot on Twitter this year, but Louisville got to the quarterback a ton this year. And if you remember that, that all state or Geico commercial of the old man in the store holding the fishing rod, telling the girl, Oh, you almost <laughs> had it. Louisville's <laughs> defensive line got so close on so many plays, but they just didn't get there quick enough. So I think this year, the, the, the priority in terms of being able to, um, take the next step in defense is fix this find guys that you can put in there who are quick who are fast who are strong who can make plays and get into the backfield and cause loss of 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 yardage and that is going to set you up as your secondary takes another step and you add a guy like Kendrick Duncan who can control the field and you're not as worried about those crossing patterns over the middle of the field and giving up those big plays on third down you can actually get off the field Right. And between now and heading into next season, there's going to be guys on the current roster that are going to get coached up to where they get to that point. And plus, there's plenty of uh, great defensive assets in the next recruiting class coming in. I mean, hell, Louisville signed five or six defensive linemen. Odds are one or two of them is going to be able to be an impact freshman. I mean, my money is on Victoire Brown because he absolutely he he looks every bit of the part. And then you've got then you've got guys like uh, Ben Perry. that are going to be be able to help him on the back end. And it's. In this particular area, Louisville should get better, especially since going into year three where the entire roster is going to be more than half of Satterfield's guys. Yeah, and there's been a lot of of talk about potentially Kendrick Duncan playing that Cardinal outside linebacker spot. I got to be honest with you. I don't like that. I I don't like that because this is not a guy who produced a lot of tackles for losses 
or sacks at Georgia Southern. He's more of a secondary cover guy, um, able to come up and provide a lot of support in the run game. Um, so at that outside linebacker spot, you know, there's Ben Perry coming in. You have um, Dre Williams, who potentially, you know, we hope will sign in the spring. Um, and then you have Marvin Dallas and Zay Peterson. Like, I, I would love to see somebody else get a chance there who's just quicker and able to make more plays in that kind of role. Uh, but again, I think the only reason there's been talk about that is because I think he's got measurables that are similar to Roger Burns. The last yeah, well, touchdown, I think he was like 6'2", 225. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, so, he I mean, he, he's got the easily. body of a linebacker. He just happens to play safety, and he's damn good at it. Exactly. But, yeah, so you're, I think you're, that's why some of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think and that's then, why some – Go ahead. <laughs> We're really bad at this right now, but in terms of the defensive line, you mentioned a guy like Victone Brown. You know, they have RJ Sorensen, they've got Ashton um, Gillette coming in, they've got um, a couple of guys who could make plays on the defensive end. But for me, it's about the guys that are on the roster now who haven't necessarily gotten the snaps that they need to. So I'm talking about guys like um, Henry Bryant, Jared Dawson, um, Jadarian Boykin, Zach Desmond Edwards. Tell. Desmond Tell, uh, you know, Yaya Diaby really came on after he came back from that shoulder or wrist injury, whichever it was. So I think that there's really uh, – and then that you get Tiberius Peterson back for a six-year. So you've got some pieces this year to really take a step forward and being able to fill the gaps because, again, it's about gap assignment, gap discipline for that defensive line. And then you have those guys in the in the secondary or in the, in the, the, the middle of the field with the linebackers you know, with Avery going to be in there, Monty Montgomery is back. Hopefully Cameron Wilson is at a place where he can step in and play. You have your Sir Abdullah, Nico Kiki. There's guys everywhere. Um, so hopefully that we will be talking this time next year that this is a defense that looks a lot more like they did in 2016, Jonathan Grenard's uh, freshman year, where they, they, they got after the quarterback like crazy. They had, I mean, for years, Louisville had pass rushers, James Hearns, Devontae, uh, uh, oh gosh, the guy, the last name is escaping Devontae Fields. Um, you know, that DeMont, DeAndre's mouth, they've had Trevon pass, Young, yeah, Trevon Young, Lorenzo Molden. They've had pass rusher, you know, in their DNA for the last several years. And so, I'm hoping that next year is the year that we get into that, right? I think that the defensive line it, it should be a little bit deeper than what we're expecting. And I mean, couple that with the front seven and with the linebacker core that Louisville has, and it should, it should be able to produce at a better rate than they did last year. Do we sound excited? Like, because I, I think the tone should be excited. Like, that's the one thing. I, when we did the We're video, not airing the grievances like we were in right, the offensive episode. Right. When we There's, did the – a couple weeks ago, we did the video talking about our words to kind of our phrase to define the season. And I said frustra frustratingly optimistic because this is the part where we should be so excited. We have bitched and moaned as fans for four years about the defense. And finally this season, they turned it on. And Brian Brown proved – uh, that he is a really good defensive coordinator to the point that I said, and I am not afraid to admit that or ashamed of this, that when Scott Satterfield was talking to, to South Carolina, I said, go hire Brian Brown. He he's shown everything that you need to show in two years with what he inherited to be able to prove to me he can be a head coach. So year three, this is the, this is the year. And, and that's why I can't wait until next week when we do the, the future episode, or in two weeks, actually, after we do special teams, uh, because I am so excited about the future of this defense because they finally have the depth. They've got the guys that they need. They have the people who can do what they're asking to do. They're going to be young. It's going to be a lot like little basketball this year. They're going to be young. They're going to make mistakes, but uh, next year is going to be a lot of fun. Stat yeah. number three. Go ahead and finish your last point here and then stat number three. Yeah, before I go into the final stat, which is, you know, I'm talking about how they finished well down the stretch, I want to go back to our good old boy turnovers again because, I mean, 
That's that was the theme of 2020 for Louisville football. There's no way they get away from it. And whenever you watch a, a Louisville game, especially on the defensive side, more often than not, like we've said, you saw a cornerback get in a position, put his hands up, go for to grab the ball, and then frying pan hands they kick in and the ball gets dropped. And some it, it, it happens, but it happened a lot. But it happens. At least they were in the position to make the play. And so with all those missed turnover opportunities they weren't able to capitalize as much like i said they only forced 12 all year which which wasn't a lot in the grand scheme of the acc and for division one is middle of the pack but it's never here nor there so this final uh step before i dive into the the positive speak about the defense is offensive turnover rate opponent offensive turnover rate excuse me this was the percentage of opponent offensive drives that result in a fumble or an interception straightforward they're Opponent offensive turnover rate was 8%, which was only 105th in D1 and 14th in ACC, only ahead of North Carolina again. It's about 7% higher than I feel like it should be because, <laughs> I mean, I, I read the statistics earlier, but Louisville only had, what, six picks, seven picks, I think. And they, you know, they forced a couple of, they had five interceptions this year, but they forced, um, they forced, let's see here, they forced 10 fumbles. They were really good. And if you remember, they were really good at special teams at forcing fumbles. That's where a lot of those came from. Um, th- there's just not there this season to be quite blunt. They're just not enough playmakers. It's just that simple. There's guys who are good enough to, to keep you above water to make plays, but there is not a difference maker, um, when it comes to turnovers on this defense. And I hope that with another season without COVID and the restrictions that we saw in the offseason with uh, Control Clark last year, and you mentioned it came in in July and they started playing in September. I'm hoping with a full offseason with him here, same with Kendrick Duncan, um, Lovey Jenkins gets into the mix next year, Josh Minkins, Jack Fago has, has made plays and forced turnovers. I'm hoping that this is a group that can really take a step and focus on what it takes as a defense to create turnovers and they need to get on the jugs machine <laughs> that's right and in the, in the season I, I don't know if brian brown said you know somebody who covers the football team as closely as you do you might be able to answer this better than i can but i remember somebody saying that he that he was a believer in teaching swatting like a volleyball player more so than catching i find it that was, troubling and i also find that to be highly ironic considering how bad louisville was at catching this year it, it was either him or satterfield i can't remember who who it was that employed this but no you're right that which on one side of the coin it does great for pass breakups i remember seeing a stat at some point towards the end of the season with that louisville was among the top teams in the in the country of pass breakups pass deflection stuff like that and i i, I just couldn't help but think it's because they're not catching the interceptions that are coming their way <laughs> I, I mean, if if you drop that many interceptions, yeah, it's going to go in the books as a pass breakup and not a, like a dropped interception or something. Right, exactly. And I said all year Louisville would have – if that was a statistic that was kept, Louisville would have easily led the country and dropped interceptions. I mean, Kytro Clark had 10 pass breakups. Like four of them should be interceptions. Again, it's just the little things that changed this year. It's all about the little things that made this team go from being potentially 7-5 and five, to being four and six or four and seven, whatever their final record was. It's just the little tiny things here and there that would have made all the difference. Oh, absolutely. It is. Now there's enough about that. Let's, let's uh, transition into talking about some good stuff. Shall we? 
All right, so let me plug this real quick. Uh, from the Pink Seats, at Pink Seats Pod on Twitter, uh, we put two poll questions up for this episode, and we've gotten uh, quite a few responses here at this point. But um, the first question, Matt, which I will ask you this as well, but we asked who was L's defensive MVP. I think that this might be unanimous, maybe not. The, the, the three nominees were Cottrell Clark, C.J. Avery, and Monty Montgomery. Uh, at this point, 63% of the votes are leaning towards Clark. Do you agree or disagree with that? Wholeheartedly, because out of all the out of all the uh, defensive assets for Louisville, more often than not, the guy who was actually there making plays, or at least in the area to make plays, more often than not, it was it was Clark. Because we we mentioned the ten pass breakups. Uh, how many? We yeah, he only had one interception, but in the, and again, there were several that he just flat out dropped. And even in times where he didn't force a pass breakup, he was. I, on defenders' hips, he was he was excellent in man coverage. He was one of the best man cover corners that I've seen. Oh my god, I, I really don't want to just tie his name to him because it's, it's kind of a lofty comparison. But he's probably the best man cover corner I've seen a little since Jair Alexander. Like he he's that good in in, in man defense. I mean, You're, it is. I think that that's a that's a pretty fair comparison. I mean, you know, he finished second team All ACC this year. You know, we we talked about this last week. There's a real gripe that he could have been on the first team. I mean, his numbers. I thought he he I thought he got robbed. He should have been uh, All ACC first team. Matt, Absolutely. Matt, had, he, had he had he caught two more interceptions, he would have been first team. But the one interception thing for a cornerback is just not a good look for a first team player. Um, but again, I think he's a defensive MVP because he changed the dynamics of being able to cover, shut down one side of the field, essentially kind of, you know, put, put players on an Island like Jair did. And, and he was they, instant impact. day one. 20th best uh, within the top 20, 17th best pass defense in the country in year number two, like that is a huge improvement. And I don't know if that happens without him. And, and I I don't think it does. I still think that Brian Brown and what he, what he has done since he got here, I still think it it would probably be top 50. Maybe it's not going to be like a hundred and second or whatever the heck it was last year. It's not going to be abysmal, but I I don't think Louisville has a top 20 pass defense without Kytrell Clark. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that there's a, a really, really, really good argument that Brian Brown should win some type of coordinator award. You know, I don't know what coordinator he award exists very, out there, it, there on but this, he should. You know, and there is, if this trend continues, he very well could end up a nominee for the Broyles Award next year, he which is the award become, that goes to – He also very could quickly become a, a nominee or a candidate for somebody's head coaching job because oh, – uh, no, I'm mean, pretty sure he did show up on several, um, you know – mock head coaching hire like coaching carousel type pieces around there i'm pretty sure it was either him or ledford but i'm pretty sure it was brian brown showed up a couple times yeah i'm obviously not i i don't want to speak this into existence but jamie chadwell at at coastal carolina i see him at some point taking a job that's elsewhere brian brown man that'd be a good fit there in the in the care yeah how far is it from his parents house (laughs) (laughs) that's the question we gotta ask all right here's the second poll question of the night what was the biggest defensive surprise this season? Uh, the nominees for this were the lack of turnovers forced, Cottrell Clark, and a top 20 pass defense. Matt, what do you think that people are leaning towards here is the biggest surprise? I'm probably – I think the people are probably leaning towards the lack of interceptions solely because towards like the last two games of the season, it just – it got to the point where it was just laughable. You couldn't help but just laugh at the amount of dropped picks that they, they had. You're right, but uh, not with the poll question. You are as far off as you can be. 10% of our votes are towards the lack of turnovers forced by the defense. Uh, 44% believe that the biggest surprise was the top 20 pass defense. And who can blame them? 
I wouldn't have certainly. I mean, I certainly would not have believed that that would be the case. And uh, I even think that Louisville would have a top 50 defense this season. I mean, because I know every single storyline, every single article, every single pundit media guy, myself included, thought that this was going to be like kind of a reflection of 2019, where this was going to be a team that was primarily powered by their offense. And they just had to score enough points to to overcome the defensive deficiencies. Right. Um, That's that's what everyone thought. Yeah, and then I said you that. go into the season and the offense just just struggled uh, throughout most of the season. And then it took the uh, the defense a couple of games to get, really get going. But once they got going, they were damn near lights out, which yeah, it was the absolutely. script completely flipped. Like, completely. I, if you had told me Louisville would have even a top 40 defense, which is what they finished with, I would have thought, oh, what, what crack are you smoking? Yeah, I said going into the season, I don't remember where this, where I was asked this, uh, if it was something I wrote or if it was in a podcast. But um, you know, I was asked. We were talking about expectations and what what would I be satisfied with and what would I not be satisfied with. And and the question was posed with, what if Louisville wins six games? And this is pre-pandemic. Um, this is pre, you know, everything that happened heading into the off season. And I said, look, I, six wins, yeah, that's not ideal. But if Louisville wins six or seven games, which would be obviously less than what they won in twenty nineteen but they get better at a key spot or in a couple of key areas, i.e. defense, then I can be encouraged by that. I can live with that. That's This team was way ahead of schedule last year to the point of where I've actively said for a lot of the year, yeah, this is not a rebuilding team. It's very much a rebuilding team. Um, and for their defense to be able to get to this point and improve like they did, uh, it, it, it really feels like this season wasn't a waste because, right. yeah, they won four games. Uh, they lost seven. We really expected it to be flipped or even more. Um, but the defense proved that Brian Brown is the right guy for the job and that, that, the, that they, can, they can play at a very high level. Now, it's all about recruiting from here, what you do with recruiting and talent development because you got, you got the guys. Now, it's all about making these guys productive because if they're not productive and these stats kind of stagger or take a step back, well, then it's a question of, well, can you recruit and can you develop the talent the way you need to? Well, they've got a good headway, at least in the recruiting department, since Louisville signed uh, one of their top recruiting classes, at least on papers, since like 07 or something like that. Or if it was it was up there, I, th- th- they're getting that part done. The, the development is yet to be seen because they're only two years in. I think we'll get a really a feel for it in year three. But we, we've started to see some shades of it play out the first couple of years. Like Jordan Watkins looks like he's going to be a star, a star in the making. Uh, several other uh, redshirt freshmen like uh, J- J- is Jalen Mitchell a redshirt freshman? I keep getting it. He is this year, yeah. So he'll be going into his okay. redshirt sophomore year or his redshirt like, he, he's, redshirt He's another example year. of someone that I, that I think with um, – with coaching up can become, I don't, I'm not going to say he's going to become the next champion Hawkins, but I think he's going to become like a great stable in Louisville's running back room. And, and, and that's just countless, uh, just a couple of examples of the, um, the uh, progression and the coaching that the Louisville staff has done with the recruits, that the top tier recruits that they're bringing in. Yeah. And, and look at, at App State, they had on defense, they had, they had some dudes like they played, uh, you know, uh, in a, pretty fairly weak conference but they developed players on defense that went to the nfl clifton duck is a guy that comes to name akeem uh, davis gaither is a guy that comes to, to mind so i know those are those are both recent players who have gone on from app state to play in the nfl but um brian brown can develop talent and i i really feel like with the pieces that they have now pieces they're bringing in this defense is going to be special next season 
they've got to fill the starting spots that are being left behind that are huge voids. And that will be one of the biggest priorities this off season. So, well, actually I still had the last stat to go over. The- uh, we still have a third stat. I thought we were done. All right. Third. No, stat. I was, I was, This is not really a not really a stab. It's just more of a an observation, and most Louisville fans can agree, can agree with this. They just don't have a, like a concrete stat in front of them. Like Louisville's defense's first four games was, was terrible. I mean, there's, there's no bones about it. They they got exposed against Miami. They got embarrassed at Georgia Tech, and then starting with um, after that Georgia Tech game, Brian Brown started implementing a lot more drills in practice that put an emphasis on tackling. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of uh, drills they were running that involved tackling prior to that, but after that Georgia State game where missed tackles were really starting to become a glaring issue, they decided to run a lot more just one-on-one tackling drills. And it immediately paid off dividends because the very next day, the very next game actually was going up to South Bend to take on the number four Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and they held them to the lowest point total of the entire season, just 12 points. So just – the first four games, Louisville allowed 34.3 points a game, uh, 389.8 yards per game. I mean, it's just, it's not great. I mean, it could, it's got a, a kind of a 2019 flavor to it with the defense. And that was the first four games. That was Western Kentucky, Miami, Pitt, Notre Dame. Now, last seven games of the season, starting with the Notre Dame game, Louisville's defense allowed just 22.3 points per game. And then their yards per game average dropped by 30 to 357.3. Now this mark right here would be good for 32nd in scoring defense and 34th in total defense, which is marks that are already like uh, comparable to their uh, season total. So essentially you've set the bar for what they should be next year. Uh, is what I'm hearing because it's the final seven games. They started to play younger guys down the stretch of the season last year. Um, why, why shouldn't that be the bar for next year? Why, why shouldn't that be the expectation? Now, now to be completely fair, uh, stealing an idiom from a 93, there are several crap bum teams down the stretch, like Syracuse and Florida state and whatnot versus the first two of the first four games you're playing Miami and Notre Dame. So the the difference in competition does play a role here. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But considering how much the defense improved both statistically and just eye test alone, I'm I'm not I'm this is the the Louisville defense that I should expect going forward. Not not just me. Fan fans should expect this. Brian Brown should expect this because that is the potential that this defense can get to. And then I remember um, it was either the press conference before Notre Dame or somewhere around that time frame. Uh, Brian Brown had a heart to heart with some of his defensive captains and whatnot. And he was like, Hey, what's, what's going on? Why are, why are we performing at this level? And this was at when they were allowing 35 points a game, damn near 400 yards a game, you know, they were struggling. And then they just straight up told him, we're not as hungry as we were last year. We were kind of underdogs. We had something to prove. Now we're kind of kind of got a little bit complacent. Now we're hungry again. And now look what happened. Combined yeah, with I, some I, of the I, changes in practice that Brian Brown did. And this is the bar. This is the bar that Louisville has set for themselves. And this is something that the Louisville defense needs to set from day one next season and not just kind of stagnate for the first third of the season. I they they can do it. They've proven that they can do it. Will they actually execute 
is another story. I, yeah. If I had to say yes or no, I think they will because not only that, they're bringing in some some studs in the recruiting class. Yeah, they're they're replacing a couple starters, but the the transfer Duncan, I think he's going to fill in the one of the starting safety spots because I I think he's that good, and then just continuity. I mean, you saw the jump from 2019 to 2020 in several categories. Just think of what it, what it could be going from this season to next season. Yeah, the, the the one pause that I would have about that is the fact that the schedule is a little bit more challenging. Uh, maybe not so, but you open the season with Ole Miss, and then you have Central Florida in Week Three. So, or you know, early in the season, seventeen so, national champions. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> I, I I don't personally, I personally don't like to hear that that we weren't hungry, but now we are. The only person I trust that when they say that they're hungry is myself. So. You know, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to take somebody at, at their word for that. Like there's no proof to that. Uh, you know, the statistics got better. Sure. But um, if that, if we're going to go on this streak of when you're hungry and when you're not hungry, it's going to be a long couple of years. So um, but again, I think the bar has been set that there should be another pretty big leap in year three, uh, especially as Brown starts to work in some more of his guys. They'll be younger across the board, uh, but I, I do think they'll be far more athletic. They'll be faster. Uh, and like you mentioned, there will be a lot of continuity. It's been another great episode. Um, we're not done. We still have two more as we kind of recap and break down the season that was in 2019 or 2020 and look to 2021 and what's ahead for Scott Satterfield and company in year three. Uh, please subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, review, rate, share with your friends, text it to your mom and dad, tell them to listen from the pink seats at pink seats pod on Twitter at Jacob Lane 08 at General Wasp. Baseball season is around the corner. I'm not about to oh, get yeah, out of platform is. to talk about baseball because I don't want to go to sleep just yet. But uh, be sure <laughs> to follow him because there is not uh, any better baseball coverage in this city. And Louisville baseball is going to be pretty damn good this year. It might be the best program in uh, at the University of hey, Louisville at this point. They were just ranked number two in the in the latest preseason poll. So it's going to be up to them and, the, and the, the Louisville women's basketball team to fight over who is the, the program of the year at Louisville. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully that you guys are enjoying this. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns, any insight that you want to drop, again, at Pink Seat Spot, at General Wasp, at Jacob Lane 08. We'll catch you next week. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.